This episode of the Gentleman's Golf Law Podcast is brought to you by our supporters on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash gentsgolflaw to help produce the show. You are listening to the Gentleman's Golf Law Podcast. Listener beware. Rise and shine, the liquor store is open. I ain't got time for moping. I best be on my way Well, I still got time to save my reputation. Time to go day drinking in this dirty little town. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Gentleman's Golf Law Podcast, the podcast for the rebel and the renaissance man. I'm your host, Jordan Crowder. Co-hosting with me, as per usual, is the Don, Donovan Fowler. How you doing, man? Uh, better than I deserve. How are uh, you doing? Yeah, we're doing, we're, I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. You've been listening to a lot of Dave Ramsey, I see. Um, the- <laughs> <laughs> At one point in my life, I'm, I'm, I'm financially a wreck. Don, Don, Donovan if I do missing, confess. Uh, a couple weeks ago was in finals, but now you seem to be back to normal normal chaos as opposed to extreme chaos. Maybe, maybe? midterms, midterms, midterms. Not, oh, yeah, not finals, quite finals midterms. yet. Don't don't scare me like that. <laughs> I meant to say um, midterms. Uh, we, I, we got one more midterm around the corner on Friday the thirteenth of all days. Uh. Um, so we, we will. Uh, yeah, that'll be uh, that'll be spooky one. Yeah. But <laughs> it is property, you know. Yeah. Lots of lots of haunted houses out there. Uh, got it. Got it. Actually, you know what? I just quick side note. I did deal with a case recently that had to do with a haunted house, oh, which really? was. Uh, can it's you pretty talk wild. about it or is it oh yeah i mean yeah. you can talk like it's 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 uh you You're can look a it real up lawyer i couldn't i couldn't <laughs> say even if i even if i was even if i was uh it, it's public like you can look it up but it i i don't remember the name of the the specific case but it was basically like a law uh in one of the states that had to do with disclosing uh like i think they call it um psych Psychological trauma. Oh. Yeah, that was what I had to look up in the database. That's, that was, was like Nathan for you tried to do something like that, didn't you? I think that's I, that's probably something to that effect. <laughs> but it's basically like if you're if you're buying a house, there are certain places where um, you know they have to disclose whether there's like a, a haunting or if like if they've had like a meth lab in the garage yeah. or. Um, like something that's attached to the house that makes it problematic or you, you as the buyer have to ask. Yeah. So um, like they can sell it to you and then you find out it's haunted later and they're like, <laughs> well, you should have asked. Sorry. You should have the haunted laws. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> you should have knocked. Yeah. Should, when you walked in, you should have thrown holy water and knocked twice on the yeah, wall. Exactly. Um, let's start off with a little bit of housekeeping. I forgot to do this. Um, housekeeping. As you know, it's International Corn Cob Pipe Month, the month of November. Every November is Corn Cob Pipe International Corn Cob Pipe Month. Um, so <laughs> I am. I say, I am smoking my Country Gentleman Cob, which is one of my favorite pipes. Cracked the shank this week. My fault. Tried to put a stem in there that was too big. Um, a forever stem, which is actually That's really cool, said. which we're going to talk about later, uh, one of these episodes coming up, but I didn't read the instructions, but it still works. It still works. And I am yeah, smoke, works. smoking, uh, some cigar, cigar box from Idlewild, California. Uh, this nice. is their heavy English blend. I'm smoking that and I'm using an Elkhorn tamper today. Ooh. Yeah. What do you got there, Don? 
Very cool. Very cool. Very cool. Um, I have, uh, let's see, this is High Plains Drifter, which I bought at my local uh, cigar lounge, Outlaw Lounge. They've got some uh, some custom blends over there. So it's pretty good. It's got you know a little bit of scotch going with it. Um, I would say it, it, I'm missing the cherry, um, if I do say so myself. I am missing that that uh that cherry um so i'm gonna have to go on a, on the hunt and, and maybe order another pack of that but i uh but in the meantime this does the trick and uh you know every day is a good day for a uh simpler times simpler times i've got some uh red's wicked apple cider going on left over oh, that's from a wicked. Halloween weekend so oh, that's um, wicked apple Ah, what is with the British? I, you know, I was recently talking to somebody about the British and the um, and their obsession with cider. Maybe if we have any British listeners out there, they can enlighten us on why the British are so big on cider. Yeah, what's that all about? Let us know. Um, I should say later on on the show, we're going to have Jared Chandler, writer, director, actor, uh, consultor, uh, producer. Everything and anything that involves the movie business he's done. Uh, the master of many traits. Yes, worked on many films, many beloved films that you would know. Um, and uh, we'll talk to him for a while, which it should be should be a good good time. Uh, what are, what are you what are you up to this week, Donovan? Oh gosh, what am I up to this week? It's today, uh, yeah. It, well, I got I got the. Uh, I got I just studying, man. I mean, I, luckily, you know, I, I uh, that cigar lounge that I was talking about has a lot of comfy leather chairs, which is essential in a cigar lounge. And uh, it's also very spacious. It's not your typical kind of just like, you know, uh, it's not cramped. Let's just put it that way. It's basically I think it used to be a restaurant. So there's many different rooms. And you can basically, if you go on the right day, you can get your own room to yourself and just study away. So I'm going to be consolidating knowledge on torts, contracts, property, and uh, criminal law. So that's going to be fun. Good times. Um, and uh, other than that, you know, I'll probably just kick back with some bourbon this weekend. And I don't know. I don't know what. Uh, maybe watch a movie. Try to figure yeah. out a good uh, good flick to catch. Good, good, good flick. Maybe a new yeah. flick or an old flick. Who knows? Uh, uh, typically these days, I'm going old. I'm I'm going yeah. with the classics. I nothing new is super uh, impressive to yeah. me. Um, I I'm trying to think of what this week. I am super sore. I helped a friend uh, in uh, Studio City move up several flights of flare, uh, stairs for two days in a row. That's the biggest humble brag ever. Yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. Not only are you are you saying, oh yeah, I'm totally worked out this week. You're also saying, oh, I I I'm such a good person. I helped a, per- a guy move. No, granted, and, he uh, did he did pay all of us because we were friends, and he was going to pay professionals. So it was very generous of him. Yeah, yeah. Now and now you're just you're just rich. You're just bragging about <laughs> your, I'm just your, your, your wealth. Um, but uh, it was funny. Like you realize, like sometimes when you're moving somebody who is well more off than you uh or you pick up a frame um and you think you're just picking up some random art piece that like you most people have in their apartments and houses sure. and for decorations like some knockoff or you know some target yeah. uh 
some little target, target painting thing. of like a wolf with yeah. like a blue sky behind it. You and know? Uh, yeah, you just kind of pick it up really willy nilly, and uh, then you realize it's an original Thomas Kincaid. So that that Thomas was my Kincaid. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I don't even know. I, I know the name Thomas Kincaid. I have. I I can't put any of the uh, paintings to to mind, but. Just the name Thomas Kincaid screams fancy artist to me. He's, he's very famous for painting light, a lot of like winter kind of scenes, cabin. Uh, like you see him a lot of Christmas uh, um, kind of decor yeah, and Christmas cards and that kind of stuff. Um, but he's like, what he's known for is painting really cool, like light, like uh, replica. What he he's able to 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 create the look of actual light coming across you know water what? snow windows that kind yeah of stuff. i am i'm seeing it now what what was this in particular what was what i mean you don't have to say the name of the painting but what was it of i don't gosh it was definitely one of the the winter <laughs> scenes but that's so hard to why i don't remember. i don't know if this is real i just <laughs> i just found one that is like it's it's if people are out there you know and you know thomas kincaid or you're looking it up um, it's like this nice little gumdrop cottage, you know, like, uh, very, very fairy tale esque, very, yeah. you know, idyllic, like you were saying with all the light and the glow and everything. Yeah. And just off to the upper left hand side in the, in the, in the sky is this massive star destroyer that's on fire. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, it looks like it's crashing. It's very bizarre. I don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, I doubt, I doubt Mr. Kincaid is uh, the one behind that, but who knows? Maybe knows? he had a. You know, maybe he had a flair for Star Wars. Maybe he did. Uh -huh. He did do some Disney stuff, it looks like. So maybe he, he interesting. Maybe maybe he did do a, you know, maybe he was a Star Wars fan. I don't know. Yeah. <sighs> have to get associate <laughs> uh uh have to get uh uh don't know words, uh cozy up to his work and uh get acquainted <laughs> with it. Work. That's what I was saying. That's well, what you'll I was trying see to say. it in a lot of cri uh, Christian Christmas kind of me I don't want to say memes, but you know, like Oh, sure. Shareable kind of stuff you see a lot this time of year as it I comes see. up. Um, you know what we should do is we should take a quick break because uh, we got a lot to talk about with our guest, Jared Chandler, today. Um, by the way, it's Veterans Day. Make sure you thank a veteran for their service. Um, and uh, we'll be back, and uh, we'll announce the winner of this month's giveaway um, after we talk to Jared. Men or women. This one's for you. Let me take a second to talk to you about GORUCK. Now, you've heard us on this show talk about their awesome endurance events, which are, you know, great for fitness and team building. But, of course, they are known for their amazing gear. Some of the best gear in the world, actually. I, myself, own a GR1 rucksack for all my rucking and training. I also have one of their 30-pound uh, ruck plates, which is so convenient because I could just drop it in the laptop compartment on my bag, and I have a weighted ruck. It's super cool. But one of my all time favorite things that they offer are their sandbags. Now, if you've never trained with a sandbag, you're in for a treat. I love that you can keep it in the trunk of your car and take it to the park and you have a gym anywhere. Ever try doing sandbag man makers with 60 pounds? I mean, you get a fun and very hard training session in really quickly. Um, it's a big bag of suck in all the right ways. Now, even if you're not in the rucking, they have tons of sleek apparel for the outdoors in addition to their gear uh, that is tough as nails and built to military standards. Also, their apparel and gear offer their scars a lifetime warranty, so you buy the item once and that's it. You're set for life. 
But you know what the greatest thing is about GORUCK? All of it is made in the good old USA, and by special forces veterans, mind you. It doesn't get more badass than that. That's right, America. To check out GORUCK gear, go to gentlemanscofflawcom slash GORUCK, and anything you buy through that link helps support the show. That's gentlemanscofflawcom slash GORUCK. Whether it's for your fitness regimen, your, you know, your outdoor lifestyle, or just, you know, a great bag for everyday carry, um, you're going to want to check them out. GORUCK, built in the USA. All right, I'm really excited to uh, have this guest. Uh, has a has a, a he's a multi hyphenate and has a storied career of, of working in a bunch of different places, from being a writer, director, consultant, uh, Hollywood creative. I don't know what to call you, Jared. Thank you for coming on, Jared Chandler. Hey guys, yeah, I don't I, I don't know what to call myself either. That is like literally one of the hardest questions you can ask. Is, you know, when they, somebody goes, "Oh, so what do you do?" And I just take a breath in, you know, you got 20 minutes. Well, I figure- <laughs> you're, you're a Renaissance man. That's what you are. That's <laughs> I guess, you know, I think what it is, is I just like to keep busy. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. You know, I've juggled my adult life between the military and the film industry and, you know, other pursuits. Um, but even in the film industry, it's just like, I do five, six different things. And that way I'm kind of never static, you know, Um, I just like moving forward and, uh, you know, creating things or problem solving, uh, you know, or killing and breaking things, whatever the mission is. (laughs) (laughs) The mission is, yeah, you're a moving target. Um, Yeah. I'd love to give uh, our listeners who don't know you um, just a little bit of a background of kind of like where you came from, how you got into the movie industry, that kind of thing. Cool. Yeah. Um, Well, I grew up um, in an Army family. My dad uh, did uh, 34 years of active duty, World War II, Korea and Vietnam. Um, He he was a lifer, yeah. Um, So I grew up in that environment. My sister turned me on to theater at some point. Um, And then in my high school years, I was pretty much just surfing. And then I kind of really got the acting bug and... By then, my dad had retired. We were in Southern California, so I started going up to Hollywood and auditioning for television shows and things, kind of like my last year and a half in high school. So I immediately moved up upon graduation with, you know, uh, the goal of becoming a working actor. Um, with I got my SAG card a year to the day I moved there on a film called In the Mood, um, starring Patrick Dempsey. And then I started getting bigger nice. opportunities, like uh, the film La Bamba. I screen tested for that. It was between Lou Diamond Phillips, myself, and another guy. Um, then I ended up on a TV show called the, uh, called the New Monkeys, which was a remake of the original show. And it was created by the original producers as well. And that was a weird one. It's like, here, I was 19 years old, you know, and here's a record deal and a TV show. And who's going to say no? I mean, I didn't want to <laughs> be the new anything, but it was kind of like, school so it was, it was really fun and uh made some lifelong friendships with my bandmates and met my first wife she played my girlfriend so there were a lot of pluses it only lasted a year which was awesome and then i was on to other things and then we had a big strike in hollywood way back when in like uh 89 90 i ended up going into the army reserve i was kind of i don't know 
I, I, I was actually getting bored with the acting thing. Yeah. Um, so I ended up uh, coming back with Green to Gold program and was placed at UCLA to become a lieutenant. Um, and uh, I fell back in, into uh, the business as a, you know, while going to school. Um, I started teaching defensive handgun and, and home defense and things to, to celebrities and the training actors. And then I got a chance to co-star in a film called Flight of the Intruder um, for director John Milius. So there I was, you know, with wow. Willem Dafoe and Danny Glover. And, yeah. Oh, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. You know, it's such a huge opportunity. But I really hit it off with John because I was a lifetime fan of Milius, you know, Big yeah. Wednesday and winning the lion and all of his great films. He wrote apocalypse now. And John just took it. I don't know. It wasn't a, it wasn't an uh, active decision, but somehow he took me under his wing. And when he was uh, taking the book clear and present danger and transposing it into a screenplay, he was originally going to direct it, but that didn't happen because John is his own worst enemy and often part <laughs> of the studio. So I've learned both good and bad from him. Um, <laughs> Somehow I was still asked to be on the project. So um, it was about counter drug. I mean, the book really, I don't think really showed like what the war on drugs was, you know, like, I mean, it's a novel. It's a great novel. It's a fun story, but Tom Clancy, right? Yeah. Yeah. And at that point I was uh, serving the reserves um, at Sox South and the mission, the number one mission was counter narcotics, um, counter narco peripheral, Proliferation, excuse me, I haven't said that in word, word in a while. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it was my first job as a, as a military tech advisor. I just kind of fell into it, and I uh, just happened to be standing in the right place at the right time, and then just started getting calls for it after that came out. So, um, you know, I was never the most experienced guy, um, you know, but um, I usually know enough or can bring pizos in to fill in uh, for my uh lack of depth of knowledge in certain things, you know, because, I mean, a movie can go the gamut from the fire team level to the national security level, you know. Yeah. So I, I, I have a great uh, group of folks that I can uh, tap into when I need them. And since then, basically, uh was doing that, you know, throughout the 90s. Um, and, uh, and when the GWAT kicked off, uh, 9-11, uh, Pursued that, um, uh, left service in 2003, then worked as a military contractor, intelligence contractor for a little while, and then ultimately became a filmmaker for the Department of Defense and the, uh, the Army, which led to work for the Air Force and the intelligence community, where um, I created uh, sort of like episodic visual training. They're sort of like um, choose your own adventures. So oh, cool. you'd yeah, like I was the director of the Army's cultural awareness program, the 360. So soldiers would go through this cultural slash tactical training, uh, how to discern different tribes, how to deal with uh, the hierarchy of you know village elders, all of these, a lot of really subtle stuff, too, yeah. um, in different areas of operation. And then they will watch an episode, which looked like an hour of Brookheimer television, basically, <laughs> um, not your dad's training film. Yeah. And as you get into a major scene, you come to a decision point. So now what are you going to do? Do you accept the offer of tea with the shake? 
You know, you say, do you tell them uh, choice B? No, you know, I'm here for business. Let's get it on, buddy. You know, or three, search his house and tell him to sit down, whatever it is, you know. And then each decision point has an outcome. So it's fun as a filmmaker because I got to film like three or four outcomes for every scene. Wow, that's so cool. It was interesting work. What is the right answer to that, by the way? Do you, do you take <laughs> you tea with a shake? Or? Training, my man. <laughs> Here, Donovan, sign this pink piece of paper. It only cost you four years of your life. Gladly, gladly. <laughs> no, we had great metrics. That was one of the best things, you know, as, a, as far as satisfaction of uh, supporting the war effort and my brothers and sisters is um, there were two things is, you know, um, imparting them with some knowledge which came from those communities. I mean, I've gotten to know, you know, so many great uh, American Afghan, American Iraqis, uh, American Iranians, Somalis, um, uh, you know, basically citizens, first generations uh, or second generations of those nationalities. And just to see how they rose up to support our forces during the GWAT, you know, really prove themselves to be great Americans um, working as battlefield Turks and uh, cultural experts and all the different things that those communities uh, did. That was really, that was a satisfying part of it. And then also the production company we founded um, was Combat Film Productions then became Dagger Media Group. Um, we had the ability to literally recruit, you know, um, soldiers, you know, veterans, uh, you know, in one case, right out of Walter Reed from bed to our office. Wow. Like get on a plane, come to LA, you've got a job. And what I did um, was basically pair up incoming veterans with film professionals. And in some cases, they were veterans as well. So we trained up a bunch of, you know, enthusiastic young kids who'd been there and done that and basically guided them into, uh, you know, into the film, television industry, video game industry. So that was really satisfying. We still continue that work to this day. Never really formalized it. You know, there's a lot of people that do that that's their number one focus to us it's just um it's our it's our uh you know it's just ingrained in what we do and we just do it because we have to so yeah yeah, it's been it's uh most satisfying part of of being a filmmaker is actually when when there's a purpose as opposed to just entertaining you yeah that's really cool that's it and i've (laughs) I, I, I feel like too, I don't know. I've, I've never been in the military, but I feel like there's a lot of probably like crossover from the way like movies are made and the way crews are put together. It's very much a team kind of effort that I feel like oh, that would translate into that very well. Yeah, I know. It's, it's funny you say that. Cause one of the things that really helped me understand once I got behind the camera and got from, you know, got out, 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 out from in front of the lens is I realized like each department's a platoon, yeah. you know, and then you've got squads within it. You, the you know, department heads are basically platoon leaders. And then, you know, you've got the key, you know, that's a, fir- you know, that's a platoon sergeant and it all, you know, basically it's a, a you know, a rifle company or a battalion in movement at all times, you know, remote going to locations, you know, we've got our log plan. I mean, it's, I could find, you know, I could, I could, you know, easily, you know, do a, a, you know, um, I could put it on paper right next to, you know, an op board, a five paragraph op board, and it would look very similar. It's just the chow and the pay is better. They'll be (laughs) shooting at you most of the time. (laughs) Most of the time. Uh, 
I was going to say, I think that was, that's what uh, Milius, I remember reading uh, kind of a quote from him or something in his documentary years ago that he, he was never in the military, but he always had a, you know, a love for the military and, and war oh, and everything yeah, like no, that. John was a great uh, supporter and enthusiast, enthusiast for, you know, the common soldier or sailor, airman. Oh, yeah. yeah, I remember uh, I escorted John up to... Uh, a sniper symposium back at old Fort Ord, 7th ID. Uh, Manchus were hosting it with uh, the West Coast FBI um, firearms team. So Milius, who's this big portly man, you know, we, we show up. Uh, it was actually like the old dance hall down Seaside. And this, this building is literally filled with like 100 of America's deadliest snipers. And the guest instructor is the Carlos Hathcock, the legend. Oh, yeah. The white feather. The white feather. <laughs> so John's the only civilian there, you know, um, and nobody quite knew who he was. But, you know, he's a big bearded, gruff guy, you know. And at that point, he had actually lost like 50 pounds. So he's fairly fit. And he was surfing again. <laughs> yeah. He was still, you know, he's still round, though. But you know, <laughs> a bit. I mean. I'm doing a shit ton of uh, BJJ even bef- you know way before it was uh, uh, popular. Makes Somehow sense. he gets up during a water break, and falls over, knocks his chair over. With all these government you know typical folding metal chairs, <laughs> just takes out like fifty chairs. Clang 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 Just goes on and on. Everybody just stops. These guys are just like, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> Ron just stands up and just looks at the room and goes, ah, <laughs> these are my people. <laughs> and immediately like five, de- and the whole room just laughed. Five dudes went over, put their hands out. Hey, who the fuck are you? you know? That's the John Milius I knew, you know, that, that tracks that, that, that seems yeah. to, to track with, with everything I've heard about him. That's awesome. That's nah, really what a great guy. But I learned a lot from him. You know, I was his development exec for a while. Uh, I learned a lot about writing and, you know, the discipline of that and directing, um, you know, John, everybody just, you know, uh, everybody loves his films, you know, and you wonder why doesn't he make film? Why, you know, he sort of got cut off, you know, yeah. the last time I worked with him in front of camera and behind was on the Rough Riders, which is a TNT miniseries. It was kind of a, mm-hmm. it was a big one at the time. It was kind of yeah. like the original band of brothers, but it was yeah. Teddy Roosevelt and, um, his crazy bunch of cowboys, but you know, John is such a like deep thinker and such a grand storyteller. Whether it's a movie or sitting around the campfire, you know, such a lost art. Yeah, how somebody yeah. that great could just kind of disappear, you know, and nobody goes, "Hey, where where the fuck? Why don't you guys let him make movies?" But hmm. you know, that uh, John was very conservative and outspoken, you know, yep. um, and I, that caught up with him professionally, unfortunately. Yeah, well, it's it's interesting because it's it's uh, so many of his so much of the stamp that he's made on the industry and on storytelling. A lot of people wouldn't even know because he wrote so many great speeches for all these great movies that yeah. he wasn't necessarily credited with like Jaws. He wrote the, uh, you know, USS Indianapolis. He wrote uh, the speech in uh, Hunt for the Red October. And, uh, you know, Dirty Harry, I, I think Make My Day was his thing. Oh, sure. Uh, and I mean, it's, it, it is. Funk. 
He's like large. I mean, larger than life kind of guy. And it is a shame that, uh, you know, I, I went to, I was actually at USC at the same time as his daughter. So she's out doing stuff right now. Yeah. Amanda has a film out. I actually want to see it. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. Hear that. Yeah, she's got a doc out, and she she made a, a short film out there uh, before she went into some government work, kind of doing similar stuff. It sounds like to what you were doing in the sense that it sort of covered like one uh, one end of media, but also one end of like something more purpose driven in terms of uh, you know making uh, videos for I think the administration. Hmm. But uh, but yeah, anyways, it's it, he. It, I mean. It, what an absolute legend. That's awesome that you got to work with him. I mean, that's just oh, so, uh, so lucky. And it was learn great from him. To do. Like, um, I, you know, he'd have, when, when we weren't like, you know, when we weren't in production, pretty much every Friday we'd have, you know, pizza night. <laughs> so people would be, you know, leaving the studio a lot at six o'clock going home for the weekend. People would trickle into Milius's office. I mean, you never knew who was going to show up. I mean, sometimes it was Ed O'Neill, uh, nice. Tom Selleck, uh, Francis Ford Coppola, I mean, <laughs> Rennie Harlan. I mean, you just never knew who was going to show up. Wow. And it was great, you know. Um, and, he, and even like, uh, you know, some other guys most people wouldn't know, like Phil Spangenberger, the editor of Guns and Ammo magazine. And, <laughs> I mean, just there's always somebody interesting coming through the doors. Yeah. And you get into these wild ass conversations with people. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, God, you know. Bob Brown, the, the editor of Soldier of Fortune magazine, you know, <laughs> it was like, holy shit, you know, <laughs> yeah. that'd be, a, I'd, I'd love to be a fly at a, on a wall at one of those parties. It was a good time. It was a good time. So, um, you, I mean, you've done a lot of, of work on, on tons of cool stuff. Um, one of the things that one, I love this movie as a kid. Um, the Operation uh, Dumbo Drop. Uh, <laughs> I love to talk about that movie. One of my favorite projects. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah I it's a, you know, true story. Yeah. Uh, you know, bizarre. It's a, you know, Disney film yeah. that takes place during the Vietnam War. And if you notice in the film, we never really shoot any DNVA or Viet Cong. We just sort of beat them up and, you know, butt, you know, butt stroke them because yeah. it was was a Disney movie, but yeah, it's a true story based on an SF mission um, called Operation Baroom, yeah. which was to resupply friendly Montagnard mountain village tribes with elephants because the NVA and the VC were killing their elephants if the tribes cooperated with the U.S. Wow. So SF had, special forces had this great idea to parachute elephants in because some of these villages were so remote. So in reality, uh, Jim Morris, Major Jim Morris, a legend uh, in, in SF, and also um, a former edit, uh, editor and chief writer, Soldier of Fortune. I grew up reading him. Um, he covered it for Green Beret Matt, or for Diapresso Lieber, the in country uh, uh, SF magazine. And it ended up getting picked up, optioned. And um, I met him through Milius and had grown up reading his novels, War Story. Devil's uh, Secret Name. I mean, just, I mean, had a big impact on me as a young man and then as a young soldier and uh, never realized I was going to one day get to, you know, call him friend. I actually lovingly call him Uncle Jim. But we, he invited me to, to join him as an advisor because he'd never worked on a film before. We went over to Thailand, uh, put the actors through uh, a week of uh, 
field training. Basically, they lived as, as a team out in the, out in the boonies, um, uh, the jungles of northern Thailand. And um, there was, uh, still is, uh, the longest running bush war going on uh, on the border, Thailand, and then called Burma, now Myanmar. Mm. And Jim had been there several years earlier covering the Korean and Thai special forces and stuff. So behind the scenes, we, you know, of course, fell deeply into that world <laughs> and uh, started running an intelligence net with uh, some uh, these two half Thai Canadian combat correspondent buddies we had. Ended up doing guerrilla link ups on the other side of the border and feeding intel to the. Uh, to the USM, and turns out the whole time we were making the movie, the Vietnamese American that we had cast as the uh, NBA colonel was actually the head of the DEA task force out of out of Bangkok. So as we were leaving all these Thai towns, like we leave my home son that day, a DEA task force and like Thai national counter drug forces would come in and roll up all the locals. I mean, it was literally on the second day of shooting. On the second day of shooting, we had three we had three Hueys airborne. We we're flying on the border, and we actually overflew the border into Myanmar, and it was uh, an area um, controlled uh, by uh, a gentleman. I wouldn't call him that. A war drug lord named Kun Sa, and he ran the United Shan Army, the USA. Wow. Um, so we're shooting air to air, you know. Uh, helicopter to helicopter and doing like these, you know, um, basically air assaults into HLZs. And all of a sudden, all the early warning stuff starts going off in the, in the Hueys. And we're actually being painted by, by anti-aircraft missiles. And over the radio comes this voice from the United Sean army saying, you know, you have 20 seconds to get the fuck out of here or we're blowing you out of the sky. We were over flying opium fields. Wow. So we flew back over the border. We shut the set down for a day. This actually made Variety and the Hollywood Reporter back then. (laughs) So they sent a representative to the set and we actually had to make a little treaty with these guys, you know, that we wouldn't wander into their areas anymore. And, um, yeah, so there was a lot of a lot of real world drama going on in between, and then ultimately some other things happened, and we were we decided to just compress on the Fort Bragg of uh, of of, uh, of Thailand called Lok Bari, and we just shoot out the rest of the movie there because now they were threatening to kidnap Danny Glover and Ray Liotta. <laughs> so all of a sudden, story. over the weekend, we take. A, Oh, no, we take a Christmas break, right? We come back the day after Christmas, and all of a sudden, like, the grip and electric department has grown by, like, 50 members each, and they all have, like, high and tight haircuts. (laughs) They're wearing, like, you know, um, uh, uh, Ray-Bans, you know, and they're all these just super fit, you know, just little fire plug Thai guys, you know, they're obviously all Thai military or secret service. And they're, it was hilarious with this like army of like, you know, minions and they all wore turquoise t-shirts because that's what the Thai grip and electric departments wore. So there's like this sea of turquoise biceps everywhere. So these guys were your protection. Yeah. They were protection. Okay. Yeah. So we shot like a bunch of stuff there, fire base sequence and some other shit. 
And then finally, Disney just got so haired out. They sent (laughs) everybody home um, while they reconfigured. I ended up staying in Thailand and got to go through the Thai Halo course, the military freefall course there. And then went to the graduation course of their ranger school. Um, I was drilling at... uh, for uh, reserve points at the U.S. Embassy. So the JESMAC team hooked me up and I knew a bunch of the Thai SF guys by then. So I basically spent a month just fucking around with Thai SF. So that was really fun. I got to run around the jungle with those hard little dudes. Um, But then uh, finally we stood the production up again in Florida on the Disney Ranch and we shot out the rest of the movie, (laughs) you know, on the Disney Ranch right outside, you know, Disney World. Which, you know, depending on where you are in Florida, it might be, uh, you know, uh, it, it might be a little bit more dangerous than uh, the, the, the Thai, Thai yeah, border. That's true. <laughs> but uh, how, how did that, how did that overlap happen? Well, like did the, I guess, uh, did uh, you get contacted because somebody knew that you guys were going over there on this Disney film and basically it just kind of fell into place that this became an intelligence op? I mean, is that basically what happened? Uh, well, I mean, there's two things that, unf- there's two ways to look at this is, um, you know, I uh, usually when we're shooting overseas, I'll talk to the country team because I want a country brief, and any American citizen can do that. But the depth of the brief, the the depth of the brief is is dependent on who's asking. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And who's going to give it to you? Um, the uh, the uh, um, the senior guy there was an army major. I'm not going to mention his name right now, but literally one of the coolest officers I've ever met. He was like a prior, uh, he was a prior enlisted infantry guy and then a medic had a giant flame tattoo on one nice. forearm. I'm like, that's my kind of officer. It's <laughs> early nineties. That was way before everybody was off. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, I like this guy. So, you know, we just asked for a country brief and then that ended up, you know, in a conversation and then it was like, well, Hey, while you're up there, you know, um, (laughs) wink and a handshake. And then the B plan is we would have done whatever the fuck we wanted to do anyway, because that was Jim Morris's world, you know, the, the, the intrigue of Southeast Asia. I mean, the man spent, you know, six tours in Vietnam, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, and then, then went into Cambodia after he was, uh, out of the army and ran around as a war correspondent with Al Rockoff and all those, you know, crazy dudes and Tim Page. So, um, yeah, you know, I would have followed Jim into whatever. And, you know, we were, yeah, you know, on an adventure, I guess, you know, that is quite quite the adventure. Who would have thought, who would have thought Operation Dumbo Drop was the (laughs) film where that was the background? Like I would have thought like, you know, Apocalypse Now or, you know, uh, I mean, platoon maybe, but like, you know, any other hardcore movie, but you know, here you are filming this G rated Vietnam tale and uh, this is the behind the scenes stuff. That's crazy, man. Well, I'm glad you like the movie, Jordan, that you liked it as a kid. That's cool. You know I mean? That's, that's why we do these things, you know, hopefully like, because I really love that movie, you know, and years later they still, you know, have, have a positive, uh, you know, vibe from it. And, you know, um, I like films, you know, that have, uh, you know, characters that need, you know, some sort of uh, in search of redemption, you know, like Danny's character in that is like, you know, old school, you know, basically plank owning SF guy that's been there for, you know, multiple tours and now just wants to go home and 
you know, roof houses with his brother in Florida and wonder what happened, you know, what yeah. it was worth. And then you've got Ray Liotta, the, like the super achiever, like, you know, death from a d- above dagger between your teeth guy who just wants to get some. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sna- a real snake eater. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. he learns kind of, you know, um, you know, it's about human operations, you know. Mm. Um, I mean, I think that's really what warfare is. If you're going to win it. Yeah. You know, have those success human terrain, you know. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, you got to, gosh, you've worked on so many things, but I'd love to talk about uh, your work on, on Call of Duty. I mean, how does your work from, oh, yeah. you know, film, how does that funnel into working for on Call of Duty? Yeah, that was like, uh, that was a crazy happenstance. Um, when we had a production co- company going hard and heavy, uh, this was like 2008, seven, eight, something like that. Yeah, 2007 or eight. Anyway, um, we literally had like 10 or 12 Xboxes uh, networked at our offices. And depending on the workload, either about 5.30 or 6 every day, we would just get on and play <laughs> on the local network. And it was all Call of Duty. Yeah, This was, I think, oh, yeah. uh, World at War was what we were playing then. Oh, yeah, I remember that one. That one gave me nightmares. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we were huge players, you know, and I'd been like a gamer since, I don't know, like the late 90s, you know, PC, eventually kind of transitioned on the consoles. But we were really into it. And um, one of uh, a a producing partner uh, and mentor of mine, Ken Robinson, who was a retired Army officer, creator of the TV show E-Ring and... um, and former commander of Centra Spike. I don't know if you know who those guys are. The activity, basically, they took down you know Pablo and uh, oh, running yeah, yeah. Jason Fair ID'd in Somalia. Well, I knew Ken and supported uh, his unit um, as a member of uh, of Sock South at one point. But we ended up linking up here in this Hollywood battle space, um, and uh, his brother, uh, God rest his soul, Steve. Robinson was a huge um, advocate for veterans' rights. He was the one that um, called out Walter Reed early for all the hygiene problems they were having there and what mm-hmm. a, kind of a shithole it was turning into for guys and girls. Wow. Well, Steve uh, was doing a lot for veterans, and uh, Activision contacted him about how, how could they help. Um, they were making so much money off of Call of Duty leading up to Modern Warfare 2 that they wanted to create an endowment for veterans. Wow. It ultimately, ultimately became the Call of Duty endowment. So they wanted to uh, premiere the endowment and its goals with uh, the release of uh, Modern Warfare 2. So um, Steve told them about us, about uh, Combat Film Productions. So um, he said, let these guys come up with, uh, you know, some branding and uh, and the way to, you know... Um, Splash the the opening, so I created uh, Steve and I created um, basically a, a commercial. We pitched it, uh, created we pitched it, shot it, posted it within a week. And it's basically a two minute spot. It's the most violent commercial ever. <laughs> you should you want to see it? Yeah. Go to on YouTube. Look up uh, Call of Duty Endowment. Uh, director's cut. Okay, and it's basically an ODA um, in a gunfight in Afghanistan, and it's like 
a day at the office and they're in this hellacious gunfight. Yeah. And as they're unassing this target, cause they're calling in fire on, onto the position um, and this surrounding area, the team leaders tapping his guys out, getting a head count as they leave the compound. And as the last guy clears, he turns and looks at the camera and says, we're doing, you're fighting. We're doing, you're fighting. We're fighting over here for you. We hope you'll fight for us when we get home. Wow. And then it's like call of duty endowment, educating, assisting, you know, uh, veterans with job placement and education and all this, bam. So we did that and uh, it really left a market at Activision. They really enjoyed it. They felt like it was a representative of their brand, I guess. And um, the accurate portrayal of uh, the operators in it, you know, soldiers. So they asked me to join the uh, developmental team for their next game, Black Ops. That was the original Black Ops. It was legendary. Yeah. Me and a couple of my guys, Hugh and Owen, a few, a few bunch of people went in there. Um, uh, started out with the character team and the weapons team, and basically we ultimately really designed almost every character in Black Ops from head to toe. Oh, that's awesome. And we tapped into one of like the cool, a couple of the coolest collections of of, of soft gear um, and captured NVA and Viet Cong items uh, from the Vietnam War around, you know, and. Uh, then we were able to import like Spetsnaz scuba gear and freaking, you know, dart submachine guns and all this crazy stuff we found around the planet to help, you know, elevate the game. And it was a big hit. I mean, I was blown away how much money that thing made. It set the record. It was like, oh, yeah. Was it like 375 million in 24 24- I, I had many, many a college, uh, a, a college roommate who uh, failed maybe a course or two because of uh, late nights playing Black Ops when we all should have been, you know, oh. studying and, and writing papers. I remember the impact that that had on the culture. Yeah, I mean, I remember like my wife would be like, what are you doing? It's midnight. I'm like, I'm working, honey. Yeah. <laughs> thing pays the bills. This That's is quality control. And the most ridiculous part about it is like, I mean, almost our entire like staff, the company is scanned into that game. So in multiplayer, we're like running around each other and it's really like our faces. That's, That's a funny shit. Yeah. It's so fun. But yeah. And then it, it learned, it uh, kind of turned into a long-term uh, collaboration with them, you know, and I've worked with the different studios and had a lot to do with the advertising. Like I um, directed most of the key art shoots for the, uh, um, for the covers, you know, yeah. like Black Ops, we call him Sitting Joe um, or Sitting Bull. It was a guy, uh, actor named Joe Anderson. Yep. He's a first ID veteran, and he's been in a bunch of things I directed. I always liked him because he looks like Steve McQueen, you know, yeah. and he's yeah. a good actor. Um, but all of a sudden, fucking Joe's on every flat surface known to man when he <laughs> came up with that picture, you know. Yeah. And it's a warrior in repose, you know. And I was like, yeah, let's give him a Kimbo. 45s you know and they have the, they have the markings markings yeah. on them and everything yeah that was so oh uh, i i oh, saw that on so many yeah. buses in Where la that was a awesome. bracelet on him you know yeah and we custom painted his his fatigues like the sog teams did uh my, my guy owen did that and it, it was really cool you know but you know it was just us getting creative you know and i was doing a lot of kundalini yoga then so to me, it was like warrior at rest, you know? Yeah. He's literally sitting in a fucking yoga pose, and nobody <laughs> figured that out. Yeah. But, nice. yeah, so, yeah, it was a really great experience, and it continues to be. You know, we've got uh, 
uh, I've been working through through the pandemic, luckily, on the Call of Duty title for 2021. And the year prior to that, while I was on Top Gun Maverick for a year um, and, and on the side working on uh, to the Vietnam elements for uh, for the reboot of Black Ops. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it's been a long term deal with them. And uh, I've always they're a pleasure to work with. And the fact that they really put their money where their mouth is and, and have helped so many veterans and place them in educational environments and in work environments. And it's just a great company that gives back, you know, that's awesome to hear. I don't, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm not uh, as much of a gamer as Donovan is, but it's always cool to hear <laughs> companies that are, <laughs> I, I, you know what the problem is? My hand eye coordination is terrible. I, so I was I, always, I, I was always just, you, up, Jordan, you, know? you just gotta, you just gotta dedicate a little time. Dude. <laughs> yeah. That's all it is. Just take your, take your, take your bumps. You'll get yeah. there. Yeah. But I you know, that, that is, that, that is super awesome. I mean, like to, to see like the private sector work out like that, to, to help out veterans and stuff, you know, to like, especially off call of duty, which I mean, you know, up until that point had been making, I mean, they were just one of the biggest franchises out there. Yeah. And then Black Ops elevated it to a whole new level. And then on top of that, like the education of Black Ops itself, not a lot of people know about the the Black Ops history in Vietnam. And it's fascinating. I mean, it's yeah, really, no, it's really true. interesting stuff. Like I, I I I was fascinated to learn like stuff like the, you know, SEALs in Vietnam wore blue jeans because the fatigues wouldn't really hold up in the water. And just like all these guys like creatively oh. It, it that poster encapsulated it just this sort of creative warfare that um that you you see in the movies kind of as a caricature but it's 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 pretty awesome to learn about and, and yeah no there's are... an education aspect to the game there definitely is like i mean the, the reboot of modern warfare just recently i mean you know that's syria you know and that's yeah. going on right now i mean you know, they call it a different country, but it's clearly the Syrian conflict, you know. Mm -hmm. So you learn a little, you know. Um, I sort of stepped I, I stepped aside doing some other stuff when they went way into the future. Um, oh, yeah, right. I did like a two, uh, except for the advertising stuff, I, I, I didn't really participate in uh, advanced warfare and I forget the other one. Sorry, guys. I kind of um, stayed away from that like one because I feel like. Like all of a sudden they went Halo and I was like. Yeah. Need of my services kind of lost but its way <laughs> even like that you know looking into like i remember like uh, black ops 3 it was that ne near look into the future mm -hmm. and now you're starting to see that with drone swarms being used in the azerbaijan uh conflict right now yeah so even in that sense you know before it got too halo-ish there was some educational value because you know they were utilizing uh you know, some of these, you know, leading defense experts that, you know, like Michael Singer and a couple other guys that like have, you know, really their thumb on where warfare is going, you know, yeah. and also the proliferation of information. And we're seeing that now during our election. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that's that's a that is like to to, to be able to have a, a view. I mean, that's that's super unique uh, place to be. Like like you said, like to have this futurist view, but also be able to like, you know, showcase the past. I mean, right now, uh, aren't they uh, isn't the new one Cold War? 
I think I saw an ad for that the yeah, other day. Black I saw Reagan's yeah. face on there and I was like, I was like, whoa, like, what is this? And uh, it was, uh, yeah, Cold War. So that, that'll be interesting to see, see what, you know, what happens with that. It looks pretty awesome. Yeah, there's a there's a good Vietnam sequence in there that that uh, uh, we I did a lot of work on for that. Nice. So it's, it's sort of like, a, yeah, it's a nice stretch across the Cold War experience because it literally does go up into Iran-Contra. Some other yeah. things I'll give it away, but yeah. Wow. That's super cool. <laughs> um, one other thing that you worked on, uh, probably the only, let's say the only movie, maybe the only movie worth seeing that came out during uh, the pandemic this year. Do you want to talk about, yeah. about your work on that and how you got involved with that? Which one was it? Uh, was it Tenant? Is that the oh, Tenet, or maybe, yeah. I guess Top but, Gun might be coming out too. I don't know when that comes well, it was out. It's so but. weird because uh, yeah, we did this movie Greyhound like almost three years ago. Oh, yeah. uh, the Tom Hanks yeah. Navy movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, I went right on to Top Gun. I was on it for a year and a week. That's a record, you know? Oh. Um, and then the last month or so of Top Gun, I had started Tenant. I was actually on both movies at once. Shh, don't tell anybody. Um, <laughs> And then the pan and those both those movies were supposed to come out this summer, and then the pandemic hits. I'm like, fuck! I was like, this was yeah. my summer. Yeah. And then they put Greyhound out on Apple TV. Apple TV, yeah. Wah, wah, wah. yeah. <laughs> nobody, yeah, nobody saw it. Like that, that, that was yeah. the that was a shame. No, it looked ten, good too. Tenant, I think uh, everybody I've I've known that's seen it really enjoyed it. But you know, it's it's a Chris Nolan film, and it's a mind bender. Um, it's his version of a Bond film with, you know, time jumping with a time jumping element, um, completely based in science because Nolan's brain is like this big. Yeah. Um, I'm a it's huge over. fan. And it, it was really great because I basically was able to design all the military elements with him and kind of what those would look like. And um, and then, Jordo, you know, you spent some time at our shop yeah. working on uh, some of the tactical gear for it that we custom built. That's but fun. it was uh, it was valuable experience and very memorable working closely with, with, with Chris. Um, he's a beast. Yeah. That dude is a beast. He knows what he wants and he gets it. He doesn't dilly dally around. He'll do things in two and three takes and move on. He's very specific. The guys loved him because he's like a leader. Yeah. There's no yeah. chairs on the set. He's constantly on the move. Um, uh, but yeah, he's he's a beast. You don't want to cross him. He will eat you alive. But hey, that's <laughs> I think what good good leaders should be like. That you know. Yeah. Um, I had to read the script three times just to figure out what the fuck it meant. <laughs> <laughs> what it meant. Yeah. Uh, Holy. Yeah, like it, I had to I'd get on like I'm on page 104 and I'm like, fuck, and I have to go back to like 87. You got you got to go get a master's degree and then come back and, you know, <laughs> I actually had a flow chart to figure out continuity and just kind of some of the things. So that really helped a lot. And then what's well, not a that's not a giveaway, but, you know, there's a lot of backwards action in it. So, um, mm. I mean, Jordan, you know, all the guys and. Donovan, you probably know, like, uh, Paul Meixner. And, and oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. He says great. hi, by the way. I talked to him earlier today. He said, oh, say cool, hi. yeah. <laughs> we, we keep phone tagging each other. It's sort of our MO, you know. <laughs> yeah. But Paul's a great guy. But yeah. I ended up getting a bunch of dudes on it. You know, we had, like, we had over 400 and something people on the set between the, the NATO uh, Special Forces Task Force and the Russian bad guys. I'd say 80% were veterans, 20% were like desert rats from out in Indio and Palm Springs. But 
Paul and and uh, and Peter Newoffer and, and uh, um, a couple of the guys had to, you know, with stunts, teach you know four hundred people how to do tactical maneuvers backwards. Wow! So you had like fire team wedges, you know, platoon in the assault, and they do it that way. Then they do it backwards, <laughs> uphill, and it was crazy. Wow. And then they load and unload a, a Chinook backwards and forwards. It was fucking weird, but it was cool. Every, you know, I mean, soldiers are flexible. So, and, you know, I think they all love the, uh, you know, sort of the creativity of it and their skills were very much appreciated by the production and by Nolan himself. He's very gracious. He loved having all, all this freaking, you know, all the guys and girls out there that, that had served. You really got a kick out of spending that much time with them. That's great to hear about Nolan. I, I, I've always, Nolan was one of the, one of my top filmmakers, you know, from the start, like I, I saw, you know, his early work and and I loved it. And I, yeah. I you know, I got to, I, I had the privilege of getting to see him live at one point. And he just struck me as a pretty well thought out, humble guy who, uh, yeah. you know, really just, like you said, he knows what he wants and he's a good leader. And, you know, that's, that's, uh, you know, I, I can't argue with that. Can't ask for more. You know, good leadership, and 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 the leader's actually brilliant. You know, yeah, man. He and his brother are both like super bright guys. You know, his brother created. Oh yeah, uh, is Jonathan, Jonathan or yeah, Jonathan. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. He created Person of Interest and mm-hmm. uh, rebooted Westworld. You know, from the old Saw movie. I mean, right, Westworld, right, right. crazy fucking good. Yeah. Yep. So, um, yeah. No, I've been lucky. I mean, you know, every once in a while, I find myself in a situation working with somebody. I go, "Holy fucking shit, this is cool." <laughs> yeah, you're you're you know, walking I mean, among really giants. What are you know, starstruck or anything? But you know, every once in a while, I go, "Yes, Tom Cruise, I can make that happen." <laughs> 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 you, know, you know, it's just it's hilarious. You know, on Maverick, I got to know Tom and work oh, with man. him, and he's a bitching guy. He actually should have been a fucking operator. Yeah. You know, that, he, I've, heard, I've heard that. He, I've heard uh, when people talk about the most disciplined guys in Hollywood, they always yeah. mention Tom Cruise and Keanu Reeves, and top, uh, top of the list. Yeah, and Tom Cruise, like, uh, there's that movie Collateral where he, you know, he's clearly, I don't think they ever get into his background in the movie, but he's clearly supposed to be some sort of operator, whether he was like, you know, SF or yeah, uh, he, somewhere. He's supposed to be a CAD guy. I actually did a little work on that film. And, and No flipping way. That was, that was a great movie. Well, do you recognize the hair? <laughs> oh yeah, there you got you got that you got that wolf that lone wolf yeah, uh, thing going had my on. Yeah, hair that I that was before I I dyed it. I was shocked nice. by the hair. <laughs> but no, he's wearing the, he's wearing a gray suit throughout the movie, you know. Yep. And I was able to get together with actually Jeffrey Curlin, the same costume designer as uh, Tenet. And I told Jeffrey, I said, well, if I was coming into town to cap a bunch of people on the move and then just get the fuck right out of town in two days, I just wear a gray suit. You can go anywhere, you know. And uh, you take the you, you you're an accountant, you know. Put on you know yeah. take off the tie. You're you're on your way to a club. Take off the jacket, grab a clipboard, and you're an IT guy. I mean, it's, it's just it blends. You know, you become the gray man. So that's why he's wearing that gray suit. Wow. it works. It, I mean, it totally works. I I I have like I I always loved his style in that, and I I thought it symbolically. I always thought oh, it kind of makes him look like a wolf, you know, with the hair and everything, but that totally makes sense that's that's awesome man i mean that's uh talk about iconic what a a great decision oh hell man can't go wrong there that freaking guy is brilliant for sure 
That's insane. So you you uh you have anything when you work on these sets? Do you keep any you have any special pieces that would be like uh something people would probably want to see or <laughs> I do, you know. It's funny, like uh a lot of times we end up doing three, four things, you know, like aging, like on uh twelve strong. Yeah. We had uh, four sets of gear and uniforms, some actually a little more sets of the uniforms for each guy because they go from mission state at the beginning, you know, to infill to like horrendous fucking experience and end up, you know, danger close bombed at the end and all this stuff. So everything has to progressively age. So I actually, I have a few collectors that love to buy stuff from me and there's things I keep, you know, I've got, I've got some, I've got, uh, I've got some things I've kept through the years. Sometimes I end up providing the stuff so that I own it afterwards, which is great. You know, it's awesome. Yeah. Like, um, I worked on Tears of the Sun way back when as a, a vendor and a consultant, but I provided all the gear for that. It was the first time I ever eBayed, and I sold Bruce Willis's H gear, his gloves, and his uh, watch for eight thousand dollars. <laughs> Holy shit! There's something to this eBay thing. Wow! So I did eight sets of gear on each guy in that film, so I sold off like four sets of gear for each guy cleared like $45,000 my first week on eBay. Wow. And it was nuts. I was like, I'm going to start saving things. So, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've got a little stash of things, you know, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I, I got a guy, a guy a shot us a, a thing in our, in our, uh, 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 shot a, a little snippet at our, at our shop where I walked in through some like cool keep me sakes from different shows. And I think he's going to come back and do like an expanded version of it. But, um, we're actually creating our own uh, YouTube content. Me and the guys are working on it right now. We've been shooting on and off for like six months That's awesome, and dude. we're going to do a thing. I think we're going to call it sin attack, you oh, know, maybe yeah. something like that because it's a mixture of military tactical and like, movie lifestyle stuff yeah and maybe awesome. a little surfing and rock and roll mixed in there too you know yeah. That'd be so, cool. that'll, that'll keep me distracted from you know all the all the <laughs> things that i need to be doing you know <laughs> well if it's interesting enough uh, oh yeah talking about dumbo drop one of the first things we're going to drop is um just fucking three weeks ago i had jim morris sitting in here in my living room and we were he lives nearby but we hadn't connected in a while and uh I did this project where I tiger strike painted this uh, surfboard and branded it Dude. with the Mac V SOG logo. Oh, so man. as I'm hand painting this surfboard, I'm talking about the history of SOG and, you know, um, just different stories and aspects. And then we're going to cut to the interview with Jim Morris and he's going to talk about all the SOG missions he strap hung, you know. Um, yeah talk about all the personalities, you know, um, all the guys he knows. And, um, yeah, so that's the kind of thing we're going to do. And then, you know, and then some pure like making of behind the scenes of 12 strong, you know, whatever. If I was to tell uh, our listeners, like if I was to impart one thing to our listeners, tune in for that, that (laughs) Mac V SOG, those Mac V SOG episodes. Cause I mean, one tiger stripes are just the best camo ever. I mean, I, ever since I was a kid, I, I love tiger stripes and, uh, uh, and then two, um, Mac V SOG, the stories that come out of that are like what I was talking about earlier with, uh, black ops in, in Vietnam. It's just, that is, it's everything you ever saw in movies, plus you know and and add 11 you could you know? this shit up. oh it's it's, it's unbelievable so yeah and I mean, and when you hear it from the guys like when you hear the you know 
uh, firsthand stories are like, you know, with, when somebody clo- close is there, it's just, it's, it's really, uh, it blows you away. Yeah, no, I remember like in service, my first, you know, my, my Sergeant major, my team Sergeant Rick, my first comms guy, they were SOG veterans, you know, and there they yeah. are still wearing, you know, wearing the tree suit, the uniform, you know, in the, in throughout the nineties, I was raised by fucking SOG operators. So I literally have, you know, a real, uh, place in my heart for them, but they inspired me as a young soldier and a, and a young man, uh, you know, just fucking believe in something, live up to it, never let your, never let your teammates down no matter what, you know, yeah. um, what a great lesson for kids today. I uh, like Jocko's had a bunch of those guys. on. Oh yeah. Like the, that's where I've, I've heard most yeah. of the stories is, is listening to those episodes and it just like, it's just, I mean, what, what a, Hey, absolute legends, those guys. Yeah, I mean, look up yeah. to you. Know, look up the guys like that. I mean, I don't, I don't see why kids look up to a guy who bounces a ball around and plays a child's game. <laughs> yeah. I, just, I, I really don't. I, I don't get that. I mean, you can admire that, but is that a sure. role model? Not yeah. really, unless you want to be a basketball player. Yeah. But in life and being a citizen and just a, you know, contributing to society, you know, they can do a lot better in who they look up to. That's for sure. Yeah, for sure. I agree with that. That's what I always. This old boomer just freaking like, yeah, get off my lawn. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've I've always said that like uh, like a lot of people ask like, why do you have so many like veterans on your show? Why are you like into like military stuff? I'm like, those guys are like heroes. I look up to those guys. Like, you you you're gonna wear some guy's name on your on a jersey and go be a cheerleader in in a crowd. Like, I want to support these guys that are doing some badass hey, things. Yeah, I mean- yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I've known some total fucking shitheads in uniform. Yeah, I'm sure. But yeah. They did one thing, you know. They made one decision. They signed that piece of paper to serve their nation. You know, yeah. if that's the only thing they ever did right, yeah, well, that's sure. saying something, you know. Sure. But it is an amalgamation of society. But for the most part, mm-hmm. it, it it the whole thing exists based on teamwork. Yeah. And it would have died a long time ago if that wasn't something that humans naturally have in them once – you know, and you can bring it out and, 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 you know, and deepen, you know, that level of, of man's commitment to man, you yeah. know, men and women, whatever, you know, I, I mean, yeah. you know, humankind, right? <laughs> per- personhood. My pronouns are tiger shark. Yeah. Fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, sorry. Fuck them. <laughs> That's funny, man. Um, you mentioned maybe doing rock and roll on that channel. Is there a new monkeys uh, reunion coming anytime soon, or is that uh, like probably usually? Yeah. yeah, you know, I mean, we we were going to play this summer. We were working it out, and of course, the old Pando ruined that. Yeah, we we're going to put a gig in for. We we're going to do something here in Southern California, and we we're hopefully going to play with uh, uh, Larry, uh, our band member's other band, Color Vine, which is a big band in the Midwest. Oh, nice! And we were probably going to open for them or do something with them, and well, that all fell to the wayside. So, yeah, yeah between that and like a super good friend of mine used to be my neighbor in Sherman Oaks is um Steve Gorman, the drummer of the Black Crows. Oh, nice! Um, yeah, yeah, and he's got a really great new band. Um, we still keep in touch, so. Um, he and I palled around for for a couple of years, uh, raising our kids together and having adventures. So um, I was going to get Steve uh, to come on and uh, shoot the shit with him. And, you know, yeah. So, I mean, 
you know, I'm going to just try to keep people interested in things maybe that I'm interested in. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. That's awesome, Speaking man. Speaking of things that you're interested in. So, you know, it's, uh, it's always interesting. I, I'm a huge, I mean, if you couldn't tell, I'm a huge, uh, war movie fan. Like I love military and movies and stuff. And one thing that, you know, as my sort of understanding matured, I started to realize, okay, you know, it's, it's, it's obviously dramatized, you know, there's a certain point where you have to balance the drama with the reality. And, um, yeah, there are no perfect military films. So that's what I was going to ask is like they're, they're out of, out of all of them, like, what would you say? Uh, cause I always ask this of veterans in particular, like w- what would you say is like the, the closest in terms of realism? And then it just one that you enjoy. Uh, and then actually a third thing, what, what's the best movie you ever worked on? Okay. Wow. All right. So I'd have to say in terms of just reality and technical, you know, proficiency, um, band of brothers. Uh, yeah. Whoa. Right. Yeah. Um, Black Hawk Down, because Black. because all the real yeah. participants contributed to that film. I worked on the first like three scripts when it was a Disney project. And then it, um, I, I, you know, I basically um, I pushed to get the real guys involved in the army uh info office ended up pushing that through and when you see you, film, when you've got the night stalkers flying there i mean you know mm-hmm. you little fucking uh you know you, you i mean the former commander of cag was there you just they had a you know third third battalion rangers fast roping for them mm-hmm. but at the same time i knew a lot of those guys my cousin was in third ranger battalion all those guys uh, I was at Fort Benning this this summer. All those platoon leaders took over, and they were my uh, my cousins uh, um, uh, peers. So I'd go drinking with those guys. I was their designated driver. But when I watched the movie, Josh Hartnett does every everything he does is a combination of Larry Larry Perino and uh, Tom DiTomaso and a couple other guys, plus mm-hmm. what that character actually did. Mm-hmm. So there's things in that. If you know the real guys and you know the real story, you go, oh, "That's fucking bullshit." Right. So, holy shit, they took the time to like, you can't have 800 characters. You got to narrow it down. Yeah. You yeah. know, it is, it's for entertainment value, but in some cases, there's a historical significance and importance of, you know, that story. So, I'd admire how they did it there. And I know it's never perfect. Like, I have to choose my battles on a set as a military advisor. I have to go, mm-hmm. well, this is what I think is most important. And I'm going to pay attention to this. And I'm not going to mention it because, they won't understand it and they might want to change it. And then the director's going to go, Hey man, you know, I really have to do. And you're like, that, but let me do this. Yeah. And there's a bit of that that goes on, you know? And it's funny because, you know, I know a lot of young hot chargers, they show up to be tech advisors, you know, and I get them on sets and they just stood in there going, what the fuck's going on? And they're like, that guy wouldn't be doing that. I, I go, Dude, that guy is this. Hang on, where's my? It, it, he's this big on lens right now. <laughs> yeah. He'd be freaking combat jacking, and nobody would know. Yeah. He's tiny, you know. So you can get lost in the grass. Yeah. You know, let's talk about what the actual scene that's close to the lens is doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's time on target, and you learn it. It's a lot of it's filmmaking. You know, I'd say it's uh, almost most of it is filmmaking because you have to find ways to tell, you know, why this is important, you know, and also certain military SOPs or behaviors, you know, you know, 
how they influence a story, find a way to show that, you know, as opposed to explaining it verbally. And, you know, it's, 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 it's interesting. It's always a challenge and you never can, you really can't please everyone, you know, like I'm 12 strong, another great story. And I knew a couple of those guys and in the real story, they had two P air force PJ, uh, JTACs with them and CIA case officer. Uh, a, a paramilitary wing guy who I actually know is an old friend of mine, um, a former third ranger battalion guy. Well, in the movie, he just, after 10 minutes, rides away into the desert. But he yeah. was with that ODA the entire the entire fight. And so yeah. were the two JTACs. But in the movie, there's no two JTACs because the company didn't want to pay 15 guys every day to show up on the set. They wanted to pay 12, yeah. which allowed uh, them to have 100 Afghans at all times. You know, it's like right. a give and take. But for the most part, the stories there, you know, the, the, the truth and body of what, you know, those guys accomplished, you know, uh, and Pennington, the real guys. Um, yeah, it's an amazing story. Oh, fuck. And it's to be admired. Those guys literally, you know, they, they didn't think they were coming back, you know, yeah. Yeah. and they, they walked into the grand unknown. One of the first ODAs on the ground, you know, that's admirable. That's who you should look up to. You know, that, that's, that's who, that's those kind of guys that are shining examples of, of good Americans and good human beings. But then, you know, it gets exaggerated here and there, you know, mm-hmm. like, uh, I mean, uh, Michael Shannon's character, he, he wasn't blown up by by an S vest, you know, they weren't even using S vests in 01 anyway, but that's a movie thing. It's certainly yeah. dramatic, you know, but the right. real guy, Bob Pennington threw his back out, you know, and had, and he was case of act, but not for being blown up, you know, mm-hmm. but there's a great shot of Michael Shannon being pulled off the horse. Cause his, his back is fucked up. Yeah. I remember that. He start bombing. He goes, well, you can't do anything. He goes, I don't have to, you know, I can lay down and call bombs in. And that's the real thing that Bob Pennington did, you know, and then they had to drive it. They actually had a little, they had a couple gators that you don't see in the movie. Those were dropped off. So there were a few guys on, you know, on quads driving around and they had, <laughs> you know, they basically had, you know, the Team XO strapped to a backboard on a cloud <laughs> up down the mountain so he could call it fire. That's cool shit. You know? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, that's great. But yeah, you know, it's just uh you just you're never gonna nail it hundred percent. It's just not in the cards, you know. Even when I yeah. direct, you know, now I'm the director. And then right. I have a military advisor coming up to me and going, Hey dude, what about and I'm like Dude, I know this dance. <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to actually, I'm going to give you that, but I got to do this. Yeah. You know, because sometimes it's about telling the story. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, I certainly would never do it in a way that dishonors, you know, uh, our service members. I mean, for sure. That, that's a no-go. I've walked off sets when it was stupid. I said, that's it. I'm done. Yeah. You know, but even I fuck up things. Literally, I was just on a film in New Mexico. And it's sort of an homage to Twelve Strong. Um, it's it's a it's a half it's a half a team and their interpreter, so we call it Five Strong and the Buddy Muhammad. And that is, that's <laughs> my working title for it. It has a, it's actually about a rodeo cowboy who ends up being a, a, a horse soldier, you know, in Afghanistan. Nice. So I play uh, I play the battalion sergeant major, and no shit, I walk into the briefing room in with my beret on backwards, with the flash over the wrong eye. Because I was a second unit director. I was rewriting the script for them. And now all of a sudden they're like, why don't you play the Sergeant Major? I'm like, okay. And I'm throwing on a uniform. Take five minutes to figure out, you know, and I totally just 
you know, going and wing the entire fucking uh, 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 their initial mission brief or whatever. And then, you know, and afterwards I'm realizing I had my beret on backwards, but thank God I like, I walk into the briefing room and immediately pull it off, you know, (laughs) and set it on the podium. But that I should know better. And you know what? Just I you, fucked that up. You, you just know? gotta talk. Just talk to the editor. He'll just flip the image, He'll and then you know it. it'll yeah. just be on the right side of your head. I mean, nobody's <laughs> freaking perfect, but yeah. you know, honestly, you know, you know, you know, preparation definitely, uh, you know, well prevents piss poor performance. But this was like a, such a, you know fly by the seat of your pants operation. Oh, you know, yeah, we, had, sure. we had to do this massive cavalry charge for no money, you know, for very limited resources. We, we only had, I only brought a couple some real stunt guys with me and my stunt coordinator, Matt Anderson, who's actually, um, was my light weapons sergeant um, in the reserves. We served together and he's a, one of the core fast and furious stunt guys. But I got called about this little movie that, you know, was an homage to the horse soldiers and, and, you know, I was st- this is I was standing in Arlington National Cemetery burying my mother next to my dad. And this was a couple maybe like a month after they fucked up D.C. downtown. And I'd shown my daughter Lafayette Square and it was just fucked up. So I, I get this phone call after we buried my mom and I'm sitting I'm standing amongst 400,000 great Americans, you know, buried at Arlington. And this guy called me and goes, hey, we don't have a lot of money, but this is what the movie's about. And I'm like. America, fuck yeah! <laughs> I'm there. Let's make your movie, dude. And uh, so we hauled our ass out to, to you know, Cimarron. And, and Matt, my buddy, is a former fifth group guy and third group guy. So he was like, yeah, they're making this. We're going to fucking do it and make it look right. So we got a bunch of dudes and went out there and, and knocked it out. But, you know, it wasn't a big studio film. But, um we cared about it. You know, it's, it's got something to say. It's a faith-based film about a cowboy who fucks up his life, ends up joining the army prior to G Watt and then goes, you know, goes through the Q course and all this stuff. And, uh, this cowboy actually wrote the movie. So all the cowboy stuff's really cool, you know, but the That's military cool. stuff was kind of asked up the way it was written. So mm-hmm. I rewrote their script and we jumped in there and, and fixed as much as we could. And, that was cool. It was like a great little opportunity to do another one that means something, you know? Yeah. You'll have to let us know when it comes out and we'll have you on to promote it. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, oh, I'd love to see cool. that. That sounds great. That's awesome, great. man. Well, I like my third cigarette. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, <laughs> hey, smoke them if you got them, you know, as we close out, Jared, if people want to find you, where can they, where can they go? Um, we've got two horrible websites that have been under <laughs> for like eight years. It's a, uh, daggermediagroup.com we're actually going to fix them soon but there's a bunch of cool call of duty content and other things we've worked on on there um sacred sword props.com that's our uh our our point of uh supply for gear and custom manufacturing for movies and stuff um i'm on uh instagram uh i think i'm just called pally surfer p-a-l-i surfer And um, and I'm on Facebook, which I think my Facebook's private. Okay, but it's not private. So right, send well, me a, a request. It's uh, my name, Jared Chandler. That's awesome, man. Well, thanks so much for doing this. And again, you know, thank you for your service too, man. What you're doing, yeah. what you have done for the country, and what you're doing for veterans, getting well, them plugged in in Hollywood and stuff. It's really cool. Oh my pleasure. Oh, well, you're you're welcome. Um, you know, many have done much more than I have, and many have given you know 
the paid the ultimate price. So I'm fucking humbled anytime somebody thanks me for that. Um, no, it's great talking to you guys. I, I, I like your show, and I was able to catch um, you know five five of your casts this weekend before we talked. You know, so Thanks. you've got a new fan in me. It's really cool. It's an honor to be on here. I'll add you to my to my list because I haven't watched TV in two months, three months. Oh, wow. All I do is listen to podcasts. Yeah, you know? <laughs> well, that's awesome. That's the way to learn. <laughs> I'm honored I dig to hear it. that. <laughs> Hello, gentlemen, Scofflaws. Thanks so much for being a loyal listener of the show. And your feedback and support is really what keeps us going and means a lot to us. So sincerely, thank you again. Now, if you're a fan of the show and you want to take your support to the next level, why not support the show on Patreon? We offer all sorts of extras on there like outtakes, extended interviews, a bonus movie podcast, and behind-the-scenes content. Better yet, we have options that start as little as a dollar a month. You pay more for that at a parking meter to go in and grab a cup of coffee at Starbucks. See what I did there? If you're interested in helping support the show, please check out patreon.com slash gentscofflaw or click the support link on the website. Again, that's patreon.com slash gentscofflaw. We look forward to having you as part of our team. All right. Um, good time talking to Jared. That was um, awesome. Yeah. He's, he's a, he was a solid dude. Um, yeah, we gotta go get, grab a beer sometime. Um, let's. Uh, you know what time it is, Donovan? You know what time it is? You know what time it is? Showtime! It's showtime! Uh-uh. It is time to announce the winner of this past month's giveaway. Um, this winner is going to win a CAD aftershave and cologne from Phoenix Shaving, as well as some swag. We threw in a koozie, some stickers, uh, uh, some of our new Gentleman's Cough Law uh, field notes books. Yep. Uh, or what is it? Field notes or moleskin? 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 Uh, I would is go with style. Field notes. Yeah, field I, think, notes. I think it's field notes. You know, it's that, that, yeah. That kind yeah. of craft paper looking that. kind of notebook. Um, and a little gentleman's golf law button, a bunch of fun stuff, um, is all coming your way. We might throw in some other extras too. We got a lot, we get a lot of stuff from friends that send us stuff that throw in some fun stuff. But anyway, this one is going to, let me get the drum roll going here. I have to hold the mic like Steven Tyler, reach over and hit the, hit the soundboard. Don't ever compare yourself to Steven Tyler. (laughs) The winner is. Your mouth too small. Is (laughs) Is <laughs> Jose Me in Kids on Instagram? Is that a made up name? So it's J O S E M E I N K I D S. You are the winner. We'll Jose sure. Me and Kids. He'll yeah. have to let us know how he yeah. spells that. I or think how it's he a says lady. It. It's actually a Mrs., I think. Really? Yes. Jose. So, um, well. I, I'm offending our uh, winner every second that I'm <laughs> breathing right now because I clearly am too tired to register. Too no, but uh, that's uh, that. Well, congratulations, Jose. Yeah, congratulations. You'll be uh, getting all this fun stuff. Um, and of course, you're always eligible to re enter our giveaways. We don't discriminate, we just pick at random. Whoever joins in you can win something. Um, <laughs> we don't discriminate. We just pick who we like. We just pick who we like. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, Donovan, if people want to support the show, how can they do that? Well, they, you can find us on the YouTubes. You can find us on uh, uh, Facebook. That's Facebook. Um, we're on Instagram. 
we are also we also have a website where you can track down our stuff. Yeah. Um, you're putting out clips, I think, on Instagram these yeah. days, yeah, right? Clips. Like we're we're putting out some nice little small clips. So if you're ever looking for a nice little uh, break, uh, you know, a little little breaky break, go ahead and look up one of those clips. It's it'll be a nice little. Uh, uh, tidbit and then uh we also have a merch shop we have patreon uh i think you can find the podcast on most podcast platforms but yeah. i mean what other platforms are there other than spotify and uh maybe spotify <laughs> uh, no i mean i mean i i'm sure it's on stitcher and and uh google play yeah. and all that good stuff all so that fun stuff yeah. let us know where oh. you listen i'm always curious to know where people prefer to listen um, I just pull up the podcast app on my phone, on the Apple phone. So, <laughs> yeah, well, some of us don't have Apple phones, Jordan. We're I know, not that's all why I'm rich curious. like you. We can't all let, we can't all be moving our friends out every day getting my, bank. My you know? four year old Apple phone, it has but, always but, but on our, 20% battery. Rubby little mitts all over <laughs> Thomas Kincaid's, uh, you know, life work. <laughs> I could have totally swiped that and sold it on eBay. That would have been a good move for me. As, um, uh, as not your lawyer, I would highly dis, uh, discourage from saying. <laughs> scared me from saying that also yeah get go ahead and get the new uh patriotic t-shirts that we have i mean I let's be honest it whether you're an american or not that's a good shirt for any no, day any day of the week any day of the year we also have neck gaiters that have the same image and flag on on them Great. as well as different variations um that you can get one that looks like a bandana one that has the wooden background lots of fun stuff to cover up your mug during uh, either the cold weather or this weird covid thing if people make you wear a mask in your state you might as well get something that's cool looking um why not yeah why not uh, Why not? not? Uh, Donovan, you are a gentleman in the scofflaw, my friend. As are you. And you guys have a great week. This has been the Gentleman Scofflaw Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher. Visit us on the interwebs at gentlemanscofflaw.com. Captain says his ice on the river. We ain't getting home if we don't break through. So damn cold, I can't help but shiver. Rise and shine, we got work to do. Hey!